0: Lyra is the goddess of joy and festivals. She and her faith look to spread happiness throughout all corners of Faerun and do good works for all people without compensation. I am Ben Dignan and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. TITLES Lyra goes by the following titles. Our Lady of Joy, Joy Bringer, The Goddess of Joy, Mistress of the Revels, The Mistress of Revels, and The Ever-Changing Goddess. Lyra has no known aliases. Portfolio and Domains Lyra holds the portfolios of joy, happiness, dance, festivals, and freedom. Her suggested domain for 5th edition is life. Though I hope as I describe Lyra and her faith you can see that the trickery and peace domains are just as fitting. Appearance and manifestations. Lyra is commonly depicted as a young human woman. She is dancing, laughing, and holds a carefree disposition. Her clothing and appearance seem to always shift, never remaining static. Her favorite weapon is called Sparkle and functions mechanically like a shuriken, at least in 3rd edition terms. The avatars of Lyra manifest first as a dizzying display of spinning bright lights and smoke hovering in the air. Bursting forth is a 9 foot tall, young, laughing human woman with blue eyes and long golden hair though there have been instances where others have seen streaks of silver or other pastel colors through this golden hair. The Avatar dances upon the air in a continuous joyful dance despite her surroundings. She wears a fitted bodysuit beneath thin robes that billow and move about with ease. Trailing behind the Avatar is a wake of blinking lights. Given her strong disdain towards violence, the Avatar will up and leave should any violence break out. Lyra has three known manifestations. First, Lyra herself is known to appear in the dreams of her devout. In these dreams, she espouses her tenets. The second manifestation is a will-o'-wisp that has a sparkling trail and can conjure dancing lights. This manifestation often directs an individual, creates symbols or words in the air, or signals something. That should be attended to. This will o wisp speaks with the goddess's voice. It holds the same abilities as a normal will o wisp while casting spells that Lyra's avatars are capable of. Much like Lyra herself, the wisp dances about and moves constantly, all the while emitting a joyful, wordless tune. A third manifestation is a dancing radiance that may spiral around a person or object. Such lights do not last long and are accompanied by happy laughter or cheerful, wordless singing. The Radiance can transmit messages telepathically and emit one spell in its area to specific individuals. Such spells may even be granted to an individual to cast later at their choosing without the need for material components. Lyra makes use of the following creatures to communicate her approval, disapproval, or aid her mortal followers. Asimar in the 2nd edition sense, Kurs, Einhariar, all one-time mortal jokesters, dancers, revelers, or party folk, Fears, Lilans, Mavonic Devas, Shires, or Shears, I'm not sure on the pronunciation of that one, Multicolored Butterflies, Robins, Sparrows, Bluebirds, Kittens, Puppies, Pinto or Piebald Horses, and gold or white goats. Lyra can also manifest the following items, phenomena, or flowers on the prime material to reward and inspire her mortal followers. Turning liquid into fine spirits or wine, rainbows, daisies, violets, snapdragons, pansies, other wildflowers, opals, agates of all sorts, lynx eyes, mycolines, Silkstones, rondochrosites, Rosalines, fenelopes, star rose quartzes, tabashirs, tremeres, jasmals, fire opals, and diamonds. Abilities In the first edition and early second edition days of the realms, Lyra was regarded as a demi power. Progressing later in the second edition, Lyra was recognized now as a lesser power. She had a rise in power since she had taken in many of Joaquin's faithful and worshippers, an event we will soon discuss. Come 3rd edition, Joaquin had returned, but Lyra remained a lesser power nonetheless. Moving into 4th edition, a new deific hierarchy was utilized. As such, Lyra came to be known as an exarch. Why 4th edition didn't decide just to stick with older terms, I do not know. Though it does read like the term Exarch is a broader term to encompass some lesser powers, demigods, and quasi-divine beings. 5th edition has seen a return to most of the older deific ranks and meanings. Almost all the deities in the realms are not assigned a rank in 5th edition. I feel quite confident saying that Lyra is a lesser deity, however. There is no official stat block across the editions for Lyra herself. Lyra has an avatar stab block in 2nd edition's face and avatars. In 2nd edition terms, Lyra's avatar has access to any spell sphere or school of magic. However, the avatar will only use such magic to harm a creature should she be left without any option. Often though, the avatar will make use of magical powers to simply shapeshift a hostile creature or banish slash teleport them away. The Avatar is capable of casting two spells per round if she forgoes an attack. She is also capable of weaving a spell in the twinkling wake of lights that trail in behind her. The Avatar can will it that only creatures of her choosing are affected by this magical wake. Such an effect in her trail lasts one round, and each time she changes the spell, the Avatar takes on a new form. Some common forms observed are a Liland, Lamia, or draconic form. Much like a druid, the avatar's mind is her own in this new form. The avatar can also make use of her usual abilities alongside the new features granted by this shape-shifted form. This ability inspired one of her lesser known titles, the ever-changing goddess. non divine undead creatures are destroyed outright by this avatar's touch. The area in which the avatar dances and the trail that follows behind her is imbued with the magic of a freedom spell. Think of the spell as the reverse of the imprisonment spell. The avatar can change one liquid held in a man-made container or construction into another mundane liquid. Often the avatar does this to change poor quality ale into fine wine, but the avatar has been known to pull pranks by turning wine into something silly or gross. The avatar is immune to spells and other magical effects that would attempt to impede her movement. All enchantment and charm magics are cast at double their effectiveness and creatures suffer a negative 2 penalty to their saving throws against said magics. Personal History After falling down to the surface of Faerun during the Time of Troubles in 1358 Dale Reckoning, Lyra and Joaquin coincidentally ran into one another. The two allies and friends traveled together. Joaquin, however, thought it best to return to her Divine Realm in the Outer Plains as soon as possible to reverse the Avatar Crisis. The two goddesses knew of the Celestial Staircase that led back to the Outer Plains in Shadowdale. Unfortunately, Eo left Helm a god to guard the staircase to disallow passage from anyone. Joaquin and Lyra began their ascent, and not too long after... Helman encountered them both. Joaquin had planned to bribe Helm, but Helm proved unswayable. Joaquin had to think of another method to get past AO's restrictions. since this episode isn't about Joaquin. I will just quickly summarize her plan, using a connection she had with another deity from outside the forgotten realms. She was then transported to the outer plains. The catch being to avoid AO's restrictions. She had to give up her divinity. This divinity she passed on to Lyra, hopefully for the short term. Lyra promised Joaquin that she would look over Joaquin's portfolios and power until Joaquin was in a position to reclaim both. While down upon the surface of Toril during the Time of Troubles, Lyra had a romantic relationship with one of her high priestesses in the city of Selgon. Followers of Loviatar would go on to kill this priestess after the Time of Troubles. This deeply saddened the otherwise always joyful Lyra. A lyran order known as the Scarlet Mummers would be formed to fight Lovitar's followers going forward. I will talk about them later. A false story arose following the Time of Troubles. It was claimed that Lyra was the one to kill Lera, goddess of illusions at the time, because the two goddesses' names were too similar. I would not be surprised if this was concocted by Syric's faithful in order to deflect any blame coming his way. Several years passed, and Joaquin had yet to return. So Lyra had to make the decision, in 1365dale reckoning, to take Joaquin's faith and structure under her wing. A Lyran prophet made their way across the realms via teleportation magic. This prophet stood outside the gates of Joaquin's temples proclaiming that Joaquin's fate hung in the air and that Lear was acting regent of Joaquin's position. Joaquin's clergy were already in a bad state and overreacted and proclaimed Joaquin dead. Going forward, Lear would preside over Joaquin's former portfolios and provide Joaquin's followers and clergy with spells. From there, these places of worship were efficiently absorbed into the Lyran faith. Lyra experienced a substantial growth in power. Still several of Joaquin's followers went their own separate ways to be welcomed into other faiths. With the adoption of much of Joaquin's clergy, many Joaquin places of worship were rededicated to Lyra. With the influx of Joaquin clergy into the Lyran faith, there was an uptick in responsible action in mercantile endeavors. Slowly but surely, many of Joaquin's faithful would come to adopt the tenets of Lyra. Lyra was never comfortable watching over Joaquin's portfolios. The power that came with this new responsibility was undeniably tempting to just claim fully as her own. Of course, we know that Lyra would be true to her word. After Joaquin's escape and re-emergence in 1371 Dale Reckoning, what remained of Joaquin's clergy and her full power would be returned. Lyra, however, would retain her position as a lesser goddess compared to her former demigoddess position. Up to the present day realms, nothing of any real substance is mentioned about Lyra. Personality From 1st edition to 3rd edition, and now in 5th edition, Lyra is known as a chaotic good goddess. In 4th edition, Lyra held an alignment of good. This is due to 4th edition's unique alignment system, different from previous and the current edition. Lyra seems uninvolved with what she views to be the mundane events of the multiverse, especially the events of the world. Lyra disdains violence in all its forms. Animosity and loathing are detested by Lyra. She is full of life, the very embodiment of happiness and freedom she does not desire anything more than her station in the multiverse. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel Cosmological Model used in 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, and is the assumed default model for the 5th Edition Forgotten Realms, Lyra resides on the chaotic good outer plane of Arborea. Arborea may also be called Olympus, Arvindor, or the Olympian Glades of Arborea. Lyra resides in the shared urban divine realm of Brightwater on the first layer of Arborea known as Olympus or Arvindor. As you can see across the editions, this plane has had some name changes which makes things muddled and confusing. As 5th edition calls this plane Arborea, that is the name I am sticking to. Arborea fosters and enhances emotions. As such, a creature needs to watch their emotions, as this creature can have their emotions become uncontrollable. Nature here is just as wild and grand. The mountains are the tallest mountains. The forests are the tallest, lushest, and most dense. Simple breezes can spool up into major gales. A simple sprinkling of rain can build up into a torrential downpour. Most natural spaces are watched over by good-natured spirits, but do not take kindly to trespassers. The spirits, though localized to the respective areas, have deep control over the land they protect and inhabit. They can reverse the flow of rivers or shift landmarks around in their forest. Though the vast majority of the plain is covered in untamed wilderness, there are small regions where you can find farmland, orchards, and small settlements. Arborea is bountiful in the crops it can yield and animals that can be used for sustenance as well. It is hard to go hungry on this plain. There are two major pantheons who inhabit Arborea. First is the Seldarine, the Elven Pantheon. Second is the Greek or Olympian Pantheon. Back in the mythic past, It is said that the Seldarene fought and pushed out the giant gods onto Ysgard. Later, the Olympians would do the same to their forefathers, the Titans, as the Titans were pushed down to the prison plain of Carceri. The first layer of Arborea, be it called Olympus or Arvindor, is the resident home of the above mentioned pantheons Arvindor, the divine realm of the Seldarene, and Olympus, the divine realm of the Olympians are separated by wide swaths of untamed and wild wilderness of varying biomes. This first layer has a slight convex shape. Arvindor and Olympus then occupy the two tallest ends of the layer. Brightwater is a shared realm between three goddesses, Sunni, Timora, and Lyra. It is a sprawling cityscape of beauty, excitement, and pleasure. A good amount of the beauty here is only surface deep, but the buzzing excitement is unescapable. This urban center stands out in stark contrast to the rest of Arborea. Despite Sunni being the stronger power, Timora is said to have been the power who came up with the initial idea to create bright water. The city is far enough away from Olympus so as to not bother the Olympians. But it is close enough that some of those who prefer what Brightwater has to offer can escape there. As of Writings for Planescape in Second Edition, Brightwater is said to only be fifty years old, which is damn near being brand new in the grand scope of the plains. Each of the three goddesses have their own respective quarters in the city. Lyra's quarter is called the Quarter of the Orange Lanterns. The Quarter of the Orange Lanterns is the second most popular and second largest quarter in Brightwater. Timora's Quarter of the Great Wheel is the largest with larger crowds and population. Sunni's Heartfire Quarter is smaller and far more private and quiet. During the day, the Orange Lanterns has a calm and happy atmosphere as creatures go about their day enjoying the sun. When the sun goes down, the atmosphere becomes one of raucous revelry. There is hearty drinking, music fills the air, creatures dancing all around, and it is best to guard your coin purse as pickpockets take advantage of these crowds. Coin flows freely to partake in all the joys of the Orange Lanterns. Visitors often leave exhausted but smiling for days. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Lier resides on the Plain of Bright Water. This plain is presided over by Sunni. Brightwater isn't an urban center, as it is in the Great Wheel. Rather, it is an idyllic and comfortable realm of cottages and manors. The plain carries the same aura of excitement, good fun, and beauty. Lyra's realm, in Brightwater, is known as the Quarter of the Orange Lanterns. This realm is home to continuous celebration and festival. Its character is much the same, as it is in the Great Wheel. Creatures who inhabit Brightwater include those angels in service to the five resident goddesses. Then there are also the Bakai. Bakai are celestial creatures who are known for their revels and hedonistic behaviors. They have some beast-like qualities that place them halfway between humanoid and satyr. The Bakai on Brightwater are less destructive than some of their counterparts but by no means less jubilant. The petitioners of Brightwater exist on the cusp of normal humanity and unbridled bestial wants. These hedonists exist in a state of eternal revelry. Within the 4th edition world access cosmological model, Lyra resides on the domain known as the Gates of the Moon. This is Salune's domain. While I am unsure why Salune and, Sol- and Sunni do not have their own separate domains in the world axis, given that they are both greater deities, it is understandable that they would share a domain given their long-standing alliance. I also cannot see Salune and Sunni making a stink about who is the true power in this domain either. The gates of the moon is a domain composed of floating islands above a silver sea. Here the moon hangs in the sky. Regardless of the time of day, appearing with the sun during the day, the moon cycles through its normal phases as it does on the material plane. Sulune's realm is a shining silver hall called Argentil. Around Argentil is Sunni's realm called Brightwater. Much as it is on other planar cosmologies, Brightwater is the same raucous and romantic city. Sunni's exarchs, Lyra and Charess, reside in the gates of the moon with her as well. Allies and Allegiances Suni is Lyra's superior and ally, but Lyra's chief ally and best friend is Malil. Their portfolios and alignment match to form a jovial pair. Before the time of troubles, Joaquin and Lyra were strong allies and friends. However, following this period, and Joaquin's return to the Faerunian pantheon. Their relationship has been strained. This stems from Joaquin's loss of former followers who converted to Lyra's faith and did not return. Joaquin was jealous of this development. Lyra and Salune are great friends and cooperate well with one another. Lyra is also allied to Denir, Ogma, Othander, and Shores in the Faerunian pantheon. Lyra has three allies outside of the Faerunian Pantheon. There is Virgadane from the Dwarven Pantheon, neutral god of wealth and luck. Hanali Selenil from the Elven Pantheon, kiata good goddess of love and beauty. Then Sorolli from the Halfling Pantheon, lawful good goddess of friendship and hospitality. Enemies. Lyra has four foes. Bane Ball, Loviatar, and Telona. Loviatar's faith does seem to be the arch enemy of the Lyran faith. This is understandable given how a former lover of Lyra's was cut down by Loviatar's clergy in Selgond. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, Lyra's faith has a commonly known symbol. A triangle formed out of three six-pointed stars. The upper star is orange in color. The bottom left star is yellow, and the bottom right star is red. However, there are two lesser known symbols. The first is an ancient symbol where the three stars are arranged in a diagonal line leading up to the left. The colored stars from top to bottom are orange, yellow, and red. The second is a special symbol seen most often on Liran altars or cast as an illusion on temple doors, a thick log on fire that may give off the scent of cinnamon or roasted meat. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons, a 3rd edition supplement. Quote, Each day is another movement in the Lycian Rigadoon, a joyful dance of a life lived in rapture and without care or frustration. Seek joy always by working to bestow it upon others. Festivals are for all. Gather into celebrations the lost, the lonely, the exiled and outlaw, the shunned, and even your foes. Let folk follow their own desires, and never fail to follow your own. End quote. Presence of the Faith. Lyra's clerics tend to hold an alignment of good. Chaotic neutral or neutral good. Many of Lyra's worshippers include bards, dancers, entertainers, poets, and partygoers. Given Lyra's portfolios, it is unsurprising to hear that Lyrans across the realms are known to be party animals. Negative opinions hold that Lyrans are irresponsible hedonists and idiots. Bird pipes which are also known as a sham, are names for panpipes in the realms. This instrument is sacred to Lyra and her faithful. Lyra's name is evoked commonly in praise during given celebrations. Back in twenty twenty, someone asked Ed Greenwood on Twitter whether Lyra had a chosen prior to the time of Troubles. Ed responded that a Shondathan woman by the name of Talala Hurowind was Lyra's chosen at this time. She is described as a petite blonde, a master of balance, parkour, dance, weaving, and rope work. Talala traveled constantly to raise the spirits of those they came across, teach dancing, and assist in organizing revels and parties. She did not hold a position of power in the faith proper, though she brought with her words and messages from Lyra herself, especially to clergy who lost their way. There is no mention whether Talala still lives on. I say this thinking about the long lived chosen of Mistra, though Ed mentions earlier in this tweet that the chosen of Lyra have minor powers. I have to wonder then whether Talala has passed on to the Outer Plains to be with Lyra. The extent to which Lyra and her followers are embraced depends on the climate of a given region. Lands that are prosperous and calm welcome Lyrans with open arms and Lirian clergy and clerics are some of the most popular religious figures. Lands that are ruled by tyrannical leaders and have a dark cloud hanging over them often suppress and fight off the influence of the Lyran faith. The thing is, such bleak locales often draw Lyrans in, since Lyrans know these are the places who need Lyra's influence most. Many Lyrans and Lirian clergy are members of the Harpers hierarchy and structure of the clergy. Lyrin clergy may be referred to as joy bringers, joy dancers, or lyricists. The Lyran clergy is freeform with next to no organization or hierarchy. No temple reports to a higher temple or authority. There is a figure known as the Grand Rapture Mother in the faith. She is a figurehead to provide advice and loose policy that each place of worship applies in their own way. She also funds Lyran places of worship out of her coffers that seem infinite. As new Lyran communities emerge, other Lyran clergy make their way out there to certify them in the Rapture Mother's name. This is done to stop any false pretenders trying to operate as a Lyran place of worship to benefit from the Rapture Mother's funding. Now the last recorded Grand Rapture Mother was named Shalana Azros out of Selgaunt. Shalana formerly held a title known as High Revel Mistress. This title formerly represented the figurehead of the Lyran clergy. During the Time of Troubles, Shalana and Lyra in her avatar form became lovers. Under Lyra's instruction, Shalana changed her title to Grand Rapture Mother and held that title after Lyra returned to the Outer Plains. Unfortunately, Chalana would be murdered by followers of Loviatar. I did not come across any mention of any Grand Rapture Mother or Rapture Father who took on Chalana's mantle in the following years. Lyra has since banned any use of the title of High Revel Mistress. As to be expected, relations between all clergy is quite positive. The Lyran clergy use few titles and honorifics. They will refer to one another as brother and sister. All of the Lyran clergy regard themselves as the true. The novices and lay folk who follow Lyra are known as the tested. A master of the revels is the title given to each head of a Lyran temple. Each master is then aided by a high prior, lower speaker, seneschal, and a quartermaster. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Lirans follow a philosophy called the Elysian Rigadoon. I looked up the term Rigadoon" on Wikipedia. It is the name of a specific dance from the Baroque period in France. The core of the Elysian Rigadoon philosophy is joyful movement over any concern. The insults and stresses of life should not weigh on your mind. Liran clergy are devoted to spreading joy. That is their greatest duty. And it serves as their sole motivation as they go about their lives. They achieve this goal through song, jokes, dance, and other sorts of kind acts and gestures. Revelry is desired above all other things. Money is spent freely, usually to bestow gifts on others and produce hearty and joyful feasts. One recorded practice is handing a tavern owner upwards of two thousand gold pieces. With this payment, people are invited to the tavern to drink and eat for free. The Lirans, though, are good about setting up the necessary security and protection to deal with any potential malcontents or violence. A good number of Lirans are adept at discerning just what it is a person needs to be happy and serving that need. Whether that be an introverted scholar in need of personal intelligent conversation, or an extroverted minstrel in need of inspiration through dance. Lyrans more in tune with the functions of society often appear before the wealthy to ask for support. The pitch Lyrans present is if Lyrans are supported, this allows them to function in broader society. Thus, the common people's happiness and function in society increase as a result. Many Liran temples and places of worship receive regular donations To ensure this occurs, some lirens may encourage rivalries on the down low between the wealthy and powerful. These friendly rivalries are based around putting on the best parties. Through these showy displays, lirens benefit greatly and just not financially. Wills made out by the poor often include clauses to send whatever meager coin they have to the lirens as well. Often, lirens are the only people. Who have ever tried to make them feel happy. Lyrans are sure to pass along information to the needy so that these folks can learn how to reach out to the faithful if they find themselves in need. Lyrans fiercely oppose and combat those who bring misery and sadness to others. The lay followers of Lyra of course cannot commit themselves solely to spreading joy. Rather their expectation is to frame life in a positive perspective and treat others with kindness, spreading joy in their own small way. Lay followers try to wear a bright piece of clothing every day. Orders in Priestly Bodies The Scarlet Mummers were formed after followers of Loviatar killed a former lover of Lyra. Initially, the Scarlet Mummers targeted the agents and faith of Loviatar. Their role has expanded since then. They protect Lyrans and places of worship and kill those who murder or oppress the activities of the Lyran faithful. The Mummers worship Lyra solemnly compared to their fellows. They are a secret and militant group who contain both clergy and some lay followers. A Mummer will reveal themselves to Lyran clergy with the passphrase, Fierce Joy. The Lyran clergy are then to aid them without question. Some Mummers use a red rose as a calling card. This they place where they have done their work. Holding a rose may signal yourself as a member of the Mummers secretly or bring the attention of the Mummers to someone in need of their aid. The choice weapon of the Scarlet Mummers are their blade boots. They engage the boots and daggers snap out of the soles and extend past the toes. From this point onwards, they protect themselves with magic as they twirl and dance, wielding their blade boots. Despite their solemn worship, the Mummers are just as happy-go-lucky as their fellows engaging in typical Lyrian festivities, but always vigilant and ready to fight at a moment's notice. The name of their order comes from their first disguise as a troop of actors they used before attacking Lovitar's faithful in Selgon. The Mummers have no uniform. The hierarchy of the Mummers is merit-based but always subject to Lyra's needs. Though most are members of the Lyran clergy, their ranks as a mummer grant them higher authority compared to other Lyran clergy. Mummers can give orders to any Lyran and expect to be obeyed. Lyra actively guides mummers through dreams and telepathic messages sent to them during prayer, occasionally giving them words or warning or guidance in a given moment. Lyra grants Mummers the innate ability to distinguish Mummers from anyone else. Anyone attempting to pretend to be a Scarlet Mummer is induced magically into a quivering unconsciousness overcome with joy. Current Mummers recruit capable Lyran clergy and lay followers secretly. From there, the Veteran Mummers act as mentors and teachers. Festbringers are a group of specialists devoted to arranging parties and other events. They keep track of all the important feast days and holidays along with the varying customs practiced in the different regions of Faerûn. Festbringers seem to have an obsession with parties and revelry in general. This is due to their belief that people face too much strife and trouble across Faerûn, so they see it as their responsibility to even out that score. Due to their stamina from dancing and carousing, Festbringers have bonuses to constitution And endurance checks in 2nd edition mechanical terms. They can modify the command spell to affect others with penalties to their saves. Usually the command word of dance is given, but another often used command is leave, for malcontents causing trouble at one of their revels. Vestbringers are unable to turn undead. The Leering clergy have various orders to honor those who are masterful dancers. A couple examples include the Order of the White Violet for those who are renowned for their moving performances. Then there is the Order of the Leaping Stag for dancers who embody the very essence of beasts and animals as they dance about. Appearance and Dress Liren Ceremonial Dress is a fitted and tight outfit split into unequal orange, yellow, and red sections to reflect the three colors of their holy symbol. One pant leg yellow, the other red. One sleeve orange, the other sleeve yellow. The front of the top orange, and the back yellow. Atop this outfit is a sleeveless robe made of patches of the three colors. Or as another source says, these vestments follow no established pattern. These outfits are often cut with a plunging neckline. Their clothing is meant to resemble joyful clothing seen at fairs and other celebrations, rather than the simple or somber attire worn by other faiths. Hair is grown long by all genders, though folks may hold their hair up in any style. Lavish earrings adorn the ears of all genders. From there, Lirans wear all sorts of cosmetics and accessories of their own choosing to accompany their vestments. When adventuring, Lyrans attempt to find armor and clothing that display all three colors important to the Lyran faith. If this cannot be accomplished, they will opt for a cloak that displays the three colors instead. Female Festbringers wear beautiful gowns and males wear fine pants and tunics. These outfits always feature orange and yellow. I wonder if the writers in this instance overlooked that Lyrans also wear red as well. These outfits are made of luxurious, thin, and light fabrics. Festbringers refuse to outfit themselves with any weapon. All wear a silver bracelet, belt, anklet, or choker. This accessory features little silver bells that jingle as a festbringer moves. Rituals Lirans pray and meditate on their spells at sunrise. This they do in their usual joyful manner. Dance is the primary method of prayer in the Lyran faith. Because of this, most Lyrans have a dancer's physique. The holiest personal prayer takes place in a meadow, garden, or another beautiful setting. Here, Lyrans dance alone while they whisper or sing praise. A rainbow that appears during this type of prayer is seen as a powerful and positive omen. To the Lyrans, every holy day, not tied to an evil entity, is a cause for celebration. The arrival of an adventuring Lyrin is cause for celebration. It should be noted that lyrans do not need much of a reason to celebrate in general. Certainly all the major holidays and local festivals are a time for lyrans to religiously revel. Such events start with dancers and tumblers performing while songs to Lyra are sung and played. Next, a feast is put before the faithful. Depending on the day, Certain events may follow, speeches or solemn holy ritual, naughty comedians perform, flirtatious and romantic pursuits, or friendly contests between celebrants. Offerings of food and wealth are held up in the goddess's name. These offerings may then be burned, buried, or given to those of lesser means or those unable to attend the activities. The holiest of celebrations always begin with the sword's cast-down ritual. Two or more weapons are thrown to the ground and covered up with a large amount of freshly picked flowers while Lyran's chant. If flowers are unavailable due to the season, the clergy may hire a druid or mage to cast spells to allow them access to fresh flowers. Lay followers make offerings to Lyra, hoping the Joybringer will bless a coming gathering or party. Lyran weddings are filled with dancing. They are held on temple grounds. Where Lyran clergy ensure no weapons are brought to the celebration. Everyone is invited to wear the most fantastic and wild costumes. Central to the wedding celebration are the Twelve Dances. The Lyran clergy make use of spells to create a host of different effects, allow the dancers to fly in a specific spherical area, hear and be moved by music that manifests just in their mind, or create the joyous tunes of the various Twelve Dances. At the conclusion of the Twelfth Dance, the music reaches its peak as the two being married ascend into the air above everyone else. While above, the Lyrian clergy presiding over the celebration asks the couple if they wish to be married. Afterwards, the Joybringer will relay the newlyweds' response to the rest of the celebrants down on the ground. Through illusion and teleportation magic, the Lyrian clergy will teleport the newlyweds to an arranged location while the illusion of fireworks bursts forth where they once were. From there, the newlyweds are left to their privacy, while the rest of the celebrants are entertained with a music and light show put on by the Lyrans. The Liran clergy gift the newlyweds non-harmful potions. Often these might be potions of cat's grace, or healing potions of some sort. The Liran Rite of Death is referred to as the Dance of Death, It is a bit macabre if you ask me. Lirans don't have crypts or graves, rather a corpse is taken to a secluded place in a Lyran temple like a cellar or hidden away garden. There the Dance of Death spell is cast on the remains as the corpse animates and dances away until every joint eventually gives way and the corpse lies unmoving on the ground. The remains may be left to rot on say a garden where the remains are taken to be cremated. Later in the year, dancing Lyrans may then spread the ashes during revels and celebrations. Lyra's Night once was a specific celebration held in Waterdeep on the 7th of Flame Rule. It has since spread in popularity throughout the Sword Coast region. This is a night-long celebration of dances and balls in the name of Lyra. The event to be at in Waterdeep is known as the Kino Shore Ball, funded by the Lords of Waterdeep, local Lirans, and some Watertavian nobles. The fest halls are filled with hedonistic dancing and other activities. This holiday spread is believed to be inspired by the fireworks display held in Baldur's Gate. Now night long firework displays are a fixture of this holiday. Pink drinks ranging from non-alcoholic to nearly deadly intoxicating Are purchased and drank in Lyra's name. Specific to Waterdeep is the Grand Rebel held on the 14th of Alturiak. Clergy of Sunni, Lyra, and Cheres lead this event. During this day, all sorts of dancing, cavorting, and the eating of sweets takes place. Large ring dances are a favorite on this day. At day's end, minstrels perform for families at the respective love feasts. Couples will often break off and slip away to exchange promises often accompanied with rings or other gifts of affection blessed by clergy. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Liren temples generate coin by allowing others to hold galas and parties on their grounds. Often this money is spent by lirens in a flippant way. Money may be given away to revitalize a public space or hold a revel to cheer up some noble or or local leader. The central room to any Lyran temple is one reserved for large parties, be it a ballroom or party room. Attached to the central chamber are conference rooms, bars, chat rooms, and nap rooms. Nap rooms are reserved for those who are far too drunk. Upper floors of Lyran temples are reserved for the personal quarters of the clergy. Temples are beautiful and opulent. Common features decorating such places include crystal chandeliers, patterned stone floors, velvet draperies, gilt mirrors, and oak bars that are stocked full. Specific Locations of Worship In the face Ward of Kalanport is a temple complex called the Arun Salda. The larger of the two buildings is a temple to Joaquin that has stood for 300 years. Attached to it is a temple to Lyra, built after the Time of Troubles, when Lyra came to preside over Joaquin's faith. The clergies at both temples were in good standing during the Second Edition era, when this temple complex is described. The Golden Maidens, as of its description in Second Edition, is a fest hall in Calimport, that is is over 400 years old. It is said that at one time during the Midwinter Revels, the avatars of Shires Hanali Selanil, Sunni, and Lyra all visited this fest hall. The book this is described in does not specify when this was. I have to assume this followed after the Time of Troubles. I say this because Sha'Ress would not have accompanied these goddesses otherwise, given her alliance with Sha'R prior to the Time of Troubles. After their visit, the name of the fest hall was changed, no faith of these four goddesses has ever backed up the story, but this has done nothing to diminish this fest hall's popularity. This next location is taken from a 2nd edition source. I do not know what state it may presently exist in, the Forgotten Realms. In the adventurous corridor of Waterdeep can be found a Temple of Good Cheer. This temple is dedicated to both Lyra and Malil. The temple is really just the upper floor of a three-storied rowhouse. That has had its rooms converted to house a temple proper, a dance room, and a music class. You can identify the temple out on the street by the plaque displaying Lyra and Melil's respective symbols. This temple is run by a married couple, the wife a clergy member of Lyra and the husband a clergy member of Melil. The Palace of Holy Festivals is found in Salgaunt. The first grand rapture mother, Shalana Azros, operated over this temple following the Time of Troubles. This temple was described as the philosophical hub for Lyra's faithful. Whether this remains still true in the present day, I do not know. The Theater of Joy in Crimor is a shared temple for followers of Malil, Sunni, and Lyra. Once a former amphitheater from the days of the Shun Empire, the clergy here have converted it into an informal temple. Reliquaries for each of the three faiths can be found in Behind Amphitheater in the Actors' Outbuilding. Sunni is worshipped from dawn until noon. Sorlin put on performances from noon to dusk. And the joy bringers of Lyra use the theater all throughout the night. Shared services are sometimes held for each of the three deities and a large party is held on the temple grounds. The Temple of Lyra in the Thane city of Byzantor has a white marble hall at its center. Around this hall are colorful tents and different pavilions. The Tower of Holy Revelry is the Lyran Temple in Raven's Bluff. This temple is made of red sandstone. This stone is sealed with a layer of material called flow glass, which flashing lights within pulse in a festive fashion. Four spires angle up at the cardinal directions. The spires have a crystal dome at their tops. Bowers of plants sweep around the temple. Beneath the bowers are several benches where people can rest and view the many sculptures of gesturing creatures. The dancing place is a place of pilgrimage, not just for Lyrans, but a host of deities who appeared when the Harpers were founded for a second time in this glade in the Highdale. Wooded encampments border the trail leading up to the dancing place. They provide a place for the pilgrims or gentle ones as they have come to be known to stay during their visit. The Sounds of Joy is a Lyran Temple in Weimut. At least in the Second Edition era, the half-elf High Priestess here was gifted by visions from Lyra. These visions informed her to hold a festival in a ten days time. As the sun sets on the night of the festival, the High Priestess lies atop the temple altar. Lyra will then signal the start of the festivities by conferring a continuous shape change magical effect upon her high priestess. The festivals typically involve a night long dance featuring all sorts of different costumes. The festivals here are attended by nobles and wealthy merchants out of Suzale. The cry of joy is the Lyran temple in Hill's Edge. The temple structure resembles a miniature castle. The turrets fly the three colors associated with Lyra. Red, yellow, and orange banners. The temple is renowned and benefits financially from its production of a local ale and chapbooks. The ale is called Black Bitter Ale. It is brewed in the cellars of the temple and sold all across Faerun. The chapbooks are romantic adventure books that are published by the local clergy. Though these chapbooks are not credited to any particular writer and sold anonymously, harpers performing guard this temple without announcing their loyalties. Abrion is a large town found in the nation of Lapalia. Each settlement in this nation have a civic deity. Abrion's is Lyra. Named temples to Lyra include House of Happiness in Hillsfar, the Halls of Laughter in Melvant, a rededicated temple from Joaquin's worship called the Hall of Success in Procamper, in the High Hallowed Festival Hall in Yuhan. Named shrines to Lyra include a House of Joy in Aspervan and Star Revel Hall in Burdusk. Unnamed temples to Lyra can be found in Ordolin, Lintar, Suzail, Esmalterran, Termish, Erebar, and Elakon. Unnamed shrines to Lyra can be found in Tasseldale, Dareloon, Serloon, Calant, Illipur and Prose, Westgate, Baldur's Gate, El Waterdeep, Arabelle, Thentia, and Nesme. Character options For 2nd edition, the Joy Dancer Specialty Priest can be found in Face and Avatars. The Festbringer Priest variant can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. For 3rd edition, Lyra's Blessing. An exalted feat can be found in Player's Guide to Faerun. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Lyra's faith, as an accolade or otherwise, could have for a custom background in Fifth Edition. For your two skill proficiencies, acrobatics and performance. For your language or tool proficiencies, two of the following: Brewer Supplies, disguise kit or one musical instrument. For your equipment, the entertainers from the player's handbook, using some of that gold for a holy symbol. Finally, for the ribbon feature, there's the acolyte shelter of the faithful from the player's handbook, or the entertainers by popular demand from the same book. This is just a list of subclasses I think would be thematically appropriate for a NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Lyra. For the Bard, there is the Glamour Bard from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, though you would need to reflavor it. For the Cleric, there's the Life Domain from the Player's Handbook, but I would also suggest the Trickery Domain from the Player's Handbook as well, and then the later published Peace Domain from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Monk, there's the Way of the Drunken Master from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, just to be fun if nothing else. I know there's no mention of any monasteries dedicated to uh, Lyra, but this is just a fun idea. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Redemption from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer. And for the Warlock, there is the Celestial Warlock from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Dungeon Master Options To start, there is a single creature I would like to recommend in official 5th edition sources that could be in the service of Lyra and her followers. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, there is the Fire Main Angel. Previously, I mentioned a list of creatures that might serve Lyra, many of which do not have an official 5th edition stat block or description, or for other reasons have been changed in the lore. In any case, malvanic Devas are one of three subsets of Devas described in earlier editions of D&D. Devas as we know them usually are active messengers of the good deities of material planes. Some sources will describe them as strictly male. Their skin is white like snow with silvery eyes and hair. Though they may be lawful neutral or chaotic good in alignment, Mulvanic Devas are most active on the prime material plane. Most tend to carry magical slender great swords with an enchantment on them that functions much like a flame tongue weapon. They wield all sorts of helpful and protective divine magics. They are able to pass into the material planes at will. And when they arrive, they usually shape change into the form of an animal or humanoid to go by undetected. Unless there is a good reason for them to arrive and cause a stir in their natural form. malvanic Devas can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2, 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix, and 3rd edition's Fiend Folio. Before 4th edition, Eldrin were their own specific type of Elven Celestial Creature type. Just as the Devils are the creatures most associated with the Nine Hells, so too were the Eldrin associated with Arborea. The Eldrin are a wandering and jubilant group of creatures. They like to adventure and perform good acts of kindness and heroism as they travel. Though they choose to cloak their true nature while on the prime material. The Eldrin of old were divided into two branches, lesser and greater. Then there were further subtypes of Eldrin in those two branches. We are concerned with three Eldrin types associated with Lyra and her faith. The first is the core, a lesser type of Eldrin, second is the Fear, a greater type, finally there's the Shear, a lesser type. Cores are tiny-sized Eldrin who are quite fairy-like in look and disposition. They are fond of good-natured pranks and mischief. Cores have a wide-ranging skin tone and the color of their dress is just as varied. Cores will avoid close-quarter combat unless dealing with their nemeses imps, and quasits They are quite capable archers with their tiny bows. They also make use of their innate magics. Statistics and further description for the cores can be found in 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix 2 and 3rd edition's Book of Exalted Deeds. Thier are Eldrin devoted to the arts and magic. They are deeply passionate beings. Many wander as minstrels and bards across Arborea. Fears will travel to the Prime Material to see masterpieces and master artists. Fears resemble half-elves, but all have red hair and pupilless red eyes. They are quite strong creatures. Fears wield two-handed swords or swords with curved elements to them. They may also wield javelins that turn into bolts of fire if thrown. With a gaze a fear may paralyze and blind a creature while dealing some damage. Like all other Celestial Eldrin, they have innate spells. Statistics and descriptions for the fear can be found in 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix 2 and 3rd edition's Book of Exalted Deeds as well as 3rd edition's Manual of the Planes. Shear are Eldrin devoted to knightly honor and fighting prowess. They are the knights of the Eldrin, defending Arborea from any unwanted incursion. They appear to be quite tall elves with a slender build, though their slender frame belies a great strength. Their skin is fair and their hair is either gold or silver in color. They wear armor made of crystal and glass and hold narrow magical shields. Their weapons are magical and sheer favor weapons, usually wielded by chivalrous knights. Their gaze may cause evil creatures to become frightened. Statistics and descriptions for the shears can be found in 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix 2. Lilands, or Lilendi, are outer planar creatures who typically have the upper torso of a feminine human or elf with the lower torso of a multi-hued serpent. Though there is the rare Liland with a masculine torso. They have wings much like a bird that have striking feather patterns. They are deeply artistic beings, both being practitioners and lovers of all sorts of artistic expression. Lilins hold a deep love as well for the unspoiled wilderness of the plains. Usually peaceful creatures, they can hold a deep grudge towards those who despoil art in the wilderness. In combat, they make use of their bardic spells and snake-like tails. Their 1st edition stat block can be found in Dragon Issue 94. The 2nd edition stat block for the Lilin can be found in Monstrous Compendium Annual Volume 3 and Planescape's Planes of Chaos. The 3rd edition stat block can be found in the 1st Monster Manual for 3rd edition and the 1st Monster Manual for 3.5 edition. To round out the creatures, here is a small list of creatures that can serve as NPCs in Lyra's clergy. From the Monster Manual, there's the Acolyte and Priest. From Tomb of Annihilation, there's the Tabaxi Minstrel. Then from Volo's Guide to Monsters, as well as Monsters of the Multiverse, there's the Bard. Next, let's talk about some magic items. Lyra's Pendant is a magic item held by an adventurer named Rachel Aaron during the 2nd edition era of the Realms. It is a plain looking brass pendant made to resemble Lyra herself. Rachel was given it by a spectral dancer who she believes to be Lyra. It grants a plus one bonus to AC, detects lies by growing warm when someone speaks true, it becomes cold if someone speaks false. Then this pendant always sparkles despite a lack of light when prayers are made to Lyra. This magic item can be found in the 2nd edition, City of Splendor's product. Joyous Star Songs are items holy to both Lyra and Malil. They are scrolls made of hammered silver and stamped with Malil and Lyra's holy symbols. Also stamped into the scroll is notation and lyrics for an inspiring song. This scroll allows Bards to use a feature of theirs an extra time in the 3rd edition game and receive a sizable bonus to the Perform check when using that feature. This item can be found in 3rd edition's Magic of Faerun. Here are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources, a field the Lyran Faith may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, the various Bag of Tricks, Boots of Striding and Springing, Dancing Sword, glamoured Studded Leather, the various instruments of the Bard, the Agility Ion Manual of Quickness of Action, Necklace of Prayer Beads, Potion of Speed, Potion of Vitality, Ring of Free Action, Ring of Jumping, Staff of Charming, Tome of Leadership and Influence, and Wing Boots. From Horde of the Dragon Queen, there's a the tanker to plenty, though I would reflavor it to not be as dwarven. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Plus One to Plus Three Amulet of the Devout, Masquerade Tattoo, and The Reveler's Concertina. From Wild by the Witchlight, there's the Pixie Dust. Finally, from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, The Cloak of Billowing, Cloak of Many Fashions, and Instrument of Illusions. Thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. These episodes are uploaded to YouTube. The YouTube's channel can be found under Religion in the Realms. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. If you wish to get in touch with me, you can send an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase. For now, the podcast is still on Twitter, at RealmsReligion, but I have added an account over on Mastodon, at RealmsReligion.com at dice.camp. In the next episode, I will begin to cover the last remaining 8 deities who exist outside a specific collective. First on that list is Kel'emvor, the lawful neutral lord of the dead and death. Until next time, may Ty'mora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode Galway by Kevin McLeod off Incopatech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.